So over the weekend, we saw Tommy Robinson and some supposedly far-right, are they far-right people, clash with police and try and get out the pro-Palestine march. We have a reshuffle going on. We've got Zuella Braveman sacked as home secretary. We've got David Cameron is back. And today the Rwanda scheme is officially ruled unlawful by the High Court. Sorry about that. I've messed up a little bit. But um, welcome to today's episode. Thanks so much for being here. Today we are joined by fellow libertarian, UK Liberty TV, if I said that right. How, what's, what's going on? Do you want to mm-hmm. give a little introduction about who you are and what you're about? Uh, yeah, much like you, Rory, I've uh, started a bit of a libertarian podcast, uh, UK Liberty TV. So, um, yeah, check it out. I'm on YouTube, I'm on Twitter, UK Liberty TV. Uh, just trying to sort out the mess that we're currently in, trying to bring a bit of liberty to this country because it uh, certainly seems to be lacking at the moment. Yeah, definitely check it out. Great work you do. Been banging out the podcast <laughs> recently. Quality. Um, yeah, so I thought we'd start by talking about what actually happened over the weekend because there was a lot of. It's quite crazy how it formulated. So there was the protest of the pro-Palestine march where they said they weren't going to go near the cenotaph and they delayed it two hours so it wasn't on the ele- like 11 o'clock. And then, you know, Tommy found out about it. And then this whole... And then the media started acting like the far right were going to clash the pro-Palestine protests and everything else. Um, and it, it was a wild day because I thought it could really have got really nasty. And what happened in Chinatown where Tommy led the protesters to Chinatown to try and get through. And then as soon as stuff kicked off, he got in a taxi and ran away. All this, you know, fight for England or whatever the fuck. And he's getting in a taxi whenever trouble starts. But what are your thoughts kind of of the weekend and everything? I mean, I remember going up to London on like the first week that the pro-Palestinian, uh, what would it have been, like October? October the 10th, I guess, on that Saturday, when like, the first big march was. And I remember thinking that this seems like it's something like quite a big deal. Now, I've given my thoughts on the sort of Israel-Palestine issue the last time we spoke, so we won't get too much into it. But needless to say, I'm uh, you know not in favour of what Israel has done. I'm obviously not in favour of what Hamas has done. So we won't get too much into the uh, complexity of the politics of the actual issue. But in terms of the response from... Um, I guess Europe, you know, Europe's Islamic population. Um, I think it's interesting because I think it highlights what is many people are kind of seeing as a divide in our society. Um, maybe we could go as far to call it as a failure of multiculturalism. Maybe that's controversial. Maybe not. And I think the you know quote unquote far right response to this. Um, is to be expected. I think seeing uh, a Palestinian flag and seeing um, identitarianism, um, the scale of which we haven't seen since the 2020 Black Lives Matter protests, I think it was always going to breed a counter reaction. It was always going to breed, um, you know, an English identitarianism. And I think we saw that kind of manifest itself somewhat. Uh, I think. Uh, are these people genuinely concerned about the fate of Israel? Uh, not particularly. I don't think they're, you know, ardently pro-Zionist. I mean, if you talk to most <laughs> of them, they probably just say they're more interested in the content of the English. Um, I don't think that, uh, yeah, they're kind of ardent, you know, pro-Israeli individuals. You know, maybe there's some who bought into the Zionist propaganda. Maybe there's some who are just kind of there to defend England as they see it from, you know, whatever threat it might be, a growing Islamification of 
you know, the diminishing of their values through, you know, mass immigration or whatever, however it is they kind of deem this issue. Um, but yeah, it was just great to see the media, uh, you know, lap it up. Uh, you know, as soon as the there was a clash, and there's always going to be a clash. I mean, because the type of uh, individual that protest attracts, so it always attracts the um, type of person who is going to clash with the police and who is going to cause a little bit of a ruckus. And there was, you know, there was some pushing and there was some shoving. I mean, it wasn't full-blown violence. There weren't skulls being cracked. There weren't, you know, gas canisters being thrown around by the police. Uh, it did seem to be one sort of uh, spark of... Uh, we call it violence, but one spark of violence against the police seemed to um, give the media the talking point that they were so desperately looking for. I mean, it's a little bit of a kind of January 6th situation where now they can kind of run with this. And obviously the implications for Suella Braverman and everything that's kind of fallen out from this, it's led quite perfectly to the... Um, narrative that's now spinning of you know it's the far right against the far left on our street and you know maybe there is some truth in that maybe what we've seen over the past couple of weeks uh, has manifested into this cultural divide and cultural split where people now find themselves either in one camp or another you either for israel or against or for palestine and it seems like yeah this is just the kind of latest iteration of the black lives matter debates that we were having three years ago yeah I, f I think that's a good way to describe it because we are seeing you know the same people it's the current thing wave your flag do this do that i mean you know legitimate people on the protests who want the f ceasefire they want uh israel to stop bombing gaza and for people to stop dying but there i think it, you raised something big there the cultural divide because we're seeing what you know what does english culture mean i think we're people are starting to wake up to what that means based on what's happening in the UK and immigration is at the forefront of that and that's why since Zuella's been sacked you had this influx of Tory members go to reform because you know the Conservative Party have become the party of tackling the issue of immigration I mean they've done a horrendous job don't get me wrong it's only been increased record numbers this year but that has become their brand to stop that and now the the conversation about culture is changing a lot like there's a lot of people a few years ago who would say multiculturalism is a complete sex and now we're seeing a kind of difference of that now i would say that multiculturalism is <clears throat> is a good thing for the most part but there is also bad parts of multiculturalism like for instance what we saw in london this year of the ice ring being set up because it's a christmas ice ring it hasn't been set up because extremists like christmas christian kind of that or like there's been multiple churches that have had to been shut down because <clears throat> people don't like it or crosses defamed or you know people getting arrested for silently praying but then someone else can say something and nothing will happen there is definitely a cultural difference happening in the uk um and what what are your kind of thoughts of multiculturalism and everything around that because i would still stick by i think multiculturalism for the most part is a great thing but i don't think it's always a good thing what's what's your take on that well, just on the protest specifically, um, like I said, it kind of smacks in the face of uh, the native populations. If they see uh, flags of foreign nations draped across national monuments, like we saw a couple of weeks ago with the Palestinian flag draped across Churchill, like we saw the Palestinian flag draped across other national monuments, like we've seen all over Europe, 
it smacks in the face of those who uh, are concerned about uh, what they believe is a diminishing of their culture and not so much as an insult, I don't think, but rather it's happening and you can't stop it from happening and you're going to have to watch it happen and you better sh shut up and bloody well take it. A little bit like the uh, diminishing of the statue of um, General Lee in America, uh, the burning down of the statue. Now that didn't, uh, so that's come down in the wake of the kind of Black Lives Matter movement now, the removal of the Confederate general. Uh, they didn't need to record and film the actual burning and melting down of the statue. Uh, and posting on social media, but it got recorded anyway, almost as a kind of snub, this is happening and you're going to sit down, shut up and take it. So I feel like it's the same principle. Uh, so I can understand where people's kind of concerns are. I can understand people's kind of concern about multiculturalism writ large. Uh, it does seem as if um, there does seem to be this almost clash of civilizations building uh, and this kind of undertone of um, you know, a conflict in the West, uh, the, with the West being almost too afraid to assert itself and uh, its values, um, the West almost being too afraid and kind of pussyfooting around what is a difficult conversation for fear of accusations, and we all know what accusations it's going to be, accusations of racism, Islamophobia, which... People need to get over that accusation. Uh, it is a, the most powerful accusation that has been levelled at people for, since, for the last 15 years, and it has totally destroyed all forms of debate. Uh, there is now no room for sensible debate about immigration, about realistic numbers, about realistic targets, because of the devastation of that word racist. Now, in terms of kind of multiculturalism writ large, um, you know, there's plenty of examples where it works in the world. You know, I think Switzerland's a great example of that. You hear there you have Italian, Swiss, French, German, uh, all kind of existing within one uh, region. So lots of different cultures all coming together. Uh, there's a degree of, um, what would you call it, homogeneity. Uh, between those cultures, so I think it works then. Uh, I don't think the likes of um, Japan are to be dismissed, where they're, what, 98.5% Japanese, uh, where, and they have remarkably low crime levels of crime. I don't think that's to be dismissed. Um, of course, you know, there are benefits to multiculturalism <clears throat> as well, but um, I think this would not have happened uh, in a free market uh, system of immigration. So if I talk about that a little bit, then one thing I'd recommend to your viewers to uh, get reading is Hans Hermann Hoppe's uh, Democracy, The God That Failed. Within it, he talks about the process of immigration. Now, I think libertarians, and I know a lot of your listeners will be kind of libertarian leaning, get a bit stuck on this issue where they think, I don't like the government, therefore I don't want the government doing anything, therefore we must have open borders because borders is like having a government. I don't think that's quite the wrong, that's somewhat the wrong way to think about it. In a private property society, that, which is what libertarians believe in, uh, you require certain criteria to enter a piece of property. Okay? And a country should be treated much the same. So the system we have at the moment of an open door 
uh, simply wouldn't exist in a private property society. Uh, and so it should be on the government to try to create the conditions that a private property society would exhibit. Okay, in a private property society, uh, you would have criteria for who could come in, who couldn't come in. Uh, but we're not kind of seeing that implemented at the moment. So I feel like probably libertarians need to do sort of better on this issue. Uh, you kind of mentioned about the kind of conservatives and their sort of take on it. Um, it's been pretty pathetic, but I think we'll get into that a little bit later. So, um, yeah, I guess that's my kind of summary of multiculturalism. It's a complex issue. Um, it's something that's obviously raged, you know, hugely over the last kind of 25 years. Uh, I feel like the issue is kind of exacerbating and getting worse to some extent. But I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, th I mean, that's a fascinating take about Japan because, like, I'm... And I'm actually one of the libertarians who is on the side of mass influx of immigration, but I'm also understanding of the effects of that. Like, like when you look at places like Poland, Hungary, <clears throat> low crime rates, um, you know, Christian, very, very strong borders, I would say way too extreme. Um, but, you know, you look at these countries, that there, there is like a more of a cohesion of what it means to you know, be Polish, be Hungarian, what does it mean to be British? Like, if you say what it means to be British, and this isn't to say that it's about skin colour, it's not, but it's about culture, and it's about integration with the culture, and I think often we bend over backwards for people to come over here, and, <clears throat> you know, we celebrate their culture, but there's zero integration, and I think also there's a massive class divide, like if you go to the south of England, of these affluent areas, like Winchester, or whatever, like, that you know they'll be very pro-immigration i'm sure to an extent and stuff but if you go to working class communities in oldham rotherham it's going to be a different story because when people don't have money they you know they see certain things they like there's definitely more of a <clears throat> i don't know like a clash a defense of, of your culture yeah. i think like certainly when like i mean you took that's a good example um i think you know wealth certainly plays into this then uh, people who kind of have money don't have to necessarily feel any negative benefits of immigration because they tend not to live in areas where migrants will move to because migrants tend to be poor because they're moving in different and changing different circumstances. So it you know, kind of writes itself, really. So the people who uh, are kind of more affected by migration are inevitably those on the kind of lower end of the socioeconomic scale. So um, naturally, they probably have a more robust sense of Britishness of, uh, you know, a defense of British values. And so I guess when they see stories like the kind of ice rink uh, having to be closed down because of Christmas and that sort of thing, uh, it boils the blood and, you know, arguably rightly so, uh, you know, we are, like I said, we do seem to be passive in our kind of defense of our values uh, where that uh, comes into play then. It's a tricky one because you don't, want to entirely dis i'm not anti-immigration no one is anti-immigration then okay people do so you know people and goods moving across borders is always beneficial uh you know that's kind of economics 101 so you don't want to be entirely dismissive of immigration and nor would you know come back to a private property society private property society would not be entirely dismissive of immigration there would be no closed borders uh, it's always going to be beneficial to have people moving uh, but of course the parameters with which people would move would be uh, radically reduced and so i think um the quality of uh 
migrants that you would get would be a kind of of a degree higher. Uh, the values would have to align, um, you know, work skills, employability would have to, you know, be of a high degree, IQ, everything would kind of have to encompass in with itself. But uh, like we say, it is a tricky one. There is no quick fix for it. Yeah. Yeah, I think like it's it's not it's not going to go away. That's the thing. Like they might reduce numbers, but there's a clear there's there's the clear divide happening in the UK, and like the reason I think Zuella is very has a pulse on it, even though most people hate her. The people who do like her, they do like her in kind of droves, and I feel like the only reason the Conservative Party have some support is kind of because of her, despite people saying sh- she's a maniac. In all honesty, she's speaking for a lot of people. Maybe not a homeless comment, but for other things, she is speaking for a lot of people. And people like her political incorrectness because it's, again, that economic status thing. Like, rich people or middle-class people, especially university students, they'll laugh off um, people being sceptical of immigration or cultural differences because they have no... They have no... uh, like nationalism in their bone like they think that's just complete racism so they'll dismiss any cultural impact because they don't even believe england has a culture so therefore that there is no cultural impact um it doesn't have a culture worth saving is what a lot of them think yeah Yeah, and like they they don't believe that the west that there's any culture there and i think one one great example recently of this was at i think it was um trafalgar square i'm not sure where there was there's a bunch of LGBT flags, like Queers for Palestine, and they got absolutely mauled by these pro-Palestine people. And what it summarised is, it summarised West. what happens when Western values act like they're in line with something else. Because, you know, while we, I, you know, I completely support the ceasefire and I agree with loads of pro-Palestinian people right now, I also agree that they don't share, loads of people in Palestine do not share my values. Like, I'm sure they want to kill gay people, they want to, you know, women to have less rights. I'm not for that. There's a clear cultural difference. And when all these kind of social justice warriors get on the bandwagon, what actually happens when the justice is achieved? Then what? Because I'll tell you what, they won't be the people who are treated well. If you go to some of these countries, they are the most conservative, most authoritarian, right-wing people. They are the thing you hate in the UK, but the opposite. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, gays for Gaza. Yeah, there's a there's a movement. If ever there was one, no, it's just like it's the identitarianism of it all. There's no logical reason why someone who supports LGBT rights should support climate change, should support Black Lives Matter, should support Palestine. But you know, as soon as you talk to someone who supports one of those four things, you can already guess what their opinion is about the other three things. And of yeah. course, that's just a part of the wider identitarianism writ large. I mean, yeah. uh, so going back to uh, Braverman, if we move on to her then, obviously there's been a fascinating article in the Daily Telegraph today. I don't know if you've seen it. So an anonymous article from someone who works in the civil service uh, for the, uh, for the home, uh, home office. Uh, I'll just read it for you quickly. So a civil servant at the home office has said, Uh, His colleagues would, quote, ring the mental health service to check in on my sanity if he were ever to propose ways of cutting immigration. So what you were saying about how um, Sorella Braverman seemed to have a kind of finger on the pulse of the nation, I think you're probably right. Um, She's not been able to deliver on it. Something like, uh, I have the number actually here. Are we? Something like in terms of immigration, there still have been... 
as of the 12th of November, 27,284 people have crossed the channel. Uh, meanwhile, the legacy backlog of the UK asylum application stood at 33,000. So why is this then that um, this individual from the Home Office feels kind of so intimidated by this? Well, it's just further kind of evidence that our civil service, our own deep state, uh, you know, we like to think that America has a deep state, a CIA, an FBI. Oh, we, we don't do any of that. We're British. No, no, we've got ours. Ours is just kind of, you know, not as exciting as an FBI or a CIA or anything like that. Uh, ours is a blob, effectively, a, a, the civil service blob. Um, you know, we no longer have a neutral civil service and we've not done so for decades. It's gone are the days of, you know, the, I don't know if you ever saw Yes Minister and Sir Humphrey Appleby and, and you know, kind of people moving the politicians behind the, uh, and the curtain of the civil service. You know, gone are the days where the heads of government, you know, departments and agencies are kind of, you know, political appointees um, under the control of the government. Uh, you know, it's effectively these last 13 years of Tory rule um, can be summarised as this. They win, but they have totally failed. They can win elections, but they have failed to change or preserve the country. OK, yes, it took Britain out of Europe then. Um, but the civil service has kind of all but kept us in it, at, but name. Um, it, the blob remains in charge, pretty much. The courts are all powerful, as we've just seen with this latest uh, kind of Rwanda scheme. Um, yeah, this is the kind of essence of Suella-ism, I guess, in some sense, where uh, she embodied the people's spirit, but, you know, the civil service have crippled her and not been a letter act on... Um, what the people want yeah yeah no i completely agree i think i mean it's ironic because i don't act, i don't like zuela at all to be honest like, i think she's super authoritarian in the sense that like, she wants to cut cramp down on protests and stuff and i think it's unbelievable that there's people who posture as kind of freedom but then they want to clamp down on protests and everything i think it's absolutely ridiculous there has to be principles <laughs> within upholding liberties um and she clearly doesn't at all. But I also appreciate the fact that people in the UK are rooting for her. I, wouldn't call, I would call her populist, but not in the sense... I wouldn't say she's a proper populist because her economic mm -hmm. policy is super, <clears throat> like, standard. It's not nothing special. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. socially, anyway, very populist. Um, and I think people can't ignore the fact that when she rags on about immigration stopping the boat, she is speaking about so many people like who mm -hmm. agree with her. And if you go up north, and the ironic thing about her is, you know, all these left-wing people act like, well, sh you know, she can't believe that she's an immigrant herself, whatever. And <clears throat> it just goes to show the racism that is involved within it of people, and even people I know, they're like, you know, she's a coconut, whatever. And it's just like that is the most racist thing you're saying that just because someone's black, brown. They, they can't have a certain political belief. Like, if if someone is brown, black, or Asian, and they're anti super anti-immigration, it's either they hate themselves, they're white supremacists, or, like, they're not actually black or Asian. It's like... No, no they've internalised their own racism, yeah, is the craze. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it can never just be the case that someone's of a different ethnicity and they don't like immigration it it can never be the fact of that it always and that within itself is racism because that's the assumption of someone's view or how they act on something based on 
uh, immutable characteristic, which is racism. So I just find it absolutely ridiculous. And with this recent Rwanda plan, what what's your thoughts of how the Tories are actually going to now go? Because obviously he's sacked Zuela. He's got, what was it, Steve Cleverly, I believe. Is it Steve Cleverly? Um... Am I getting that what as the foreign secretary talking? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. No, he's got David Cameron as the home secretary, right? Uh, well, no, Cameron's the foreign secretary, oh, and then who's the home? Oh, yeah. See, this is the thing, Rory. I yeah, have no I interest in any of these people. Yeah, yeah. I have absolutely no faith in any of them. I'm trying to remember. Um, it's, it, it's the big, yeah. well, the, the big guy. Um, what's his name? I can't remember. I tell you, what, while you look it up, I'll just go off on a rant quickly. I have no faith in any of these people. Then, um, you know, like we say about Braverman, uh, you know, yes, she talked a good game, but ultimately, as I said, the the blob had her by James the. Um, yeah, there we go. Thank you. Yeah, um, you know, the blob had her trapped and uh, you know couldn't act, enact on these policies. But I still don't trust her anyway. You know, she wasn't active during the lockdowns. Uh, she wasn't there to defend people's liberty when it has been most, uh, you know, when it was more threatened at any time since, I don't know, Cromwell's Britain in the puritanical rule since the 1650s, I'd imagine. That's what I'd equate lockdown to. So I don't really trust her. I don't trust Rishi Sunak when he says he's going to stop the boats. I just saw him tweet that out earlier. Uh, no one believes that he'll do that. Likewise, I don't trust Keir Starmer when he says Labour will be um, more economically efficient in with their immigration policies. You've got to have a, um, you know, you must have a brain aneurysm if you think that's the case. <laughs> David Cameron being reintroduced as foreign sec was an interesting one. Uh, someone called him a safe pair of hands as foreign sec. You know, it's quite, <laughs> quite amusing given that he was one of the men who pushed for the invasion of Libya way back in 2012. Uh, which led directly to the rise of ISIS um, and the refugee crisis, which we now exhibit, the Bataclan massacre in Paris, the Manchester Arena bombing, uh, all of it that we're now kind of exhibiting and having to live through. So, yeah, safe pair of hands. Uh, not exactly. No, these people don't believe in anything. Um, they're they're oligarchs. OK, they don't. They believe in power and they believe that they should have power. Uh, they don't believe they're not principled individuals who believe in things like liberty or freedom or equality or any of these, mm. you know, vital um, part things that make us who we are. Uh, you know, they're oligarchs, a lot of them. So, yeah, Braverman, Cameron, I couldn't really care who's in office. Mm. Yeah, I think it's it's you know it's roughly the same. It'll be a it'll be way more moderate, that's for sure, because it was definitely going in one direction. Um, and obviously she got sacked because of a breach about the political policing. Now I would agree that we do have political police force. If you have a certain perspective, you'll get arrested. If you have a certain other perspective, you simply won't. You know, you can silently pray. You can be slightly right wing your protest, but then if you're like a social justice group and you say crazy things, like you, very good chance nothing will happen everyone knows it like everyone knows that like high status protests yeah. have high status policing so as you say so it's the jet stop oils it's the black lives matter riots it's high status protests um demand kid gloves when it comes to policing uh but if you are there with your st george's flags and you're kind of lick it up a little bit uh maybe you've shaved your head um, you can bet that the truncheons are going to come in. Now, I'm not saying that the truncheons never come in for any other forms of protest. Clearly, that is the case. You know, we have seen some clashes with the Palestinian 
crowd and the police as well. Mm. Uh, but there is a clear distinction then. I mean, just look at the Metropolitan Police's Twitter account. Like every other tweet is just about, <laughs> we saw this person post this nasty thing. Can you help us find them? Yeah. Uh, it's so politicised mm. now. It's, you know, and everyone can see it then. It's, it's the, par- yeah. the party told you to ignore the evidence of your ears and eyes and, you know, that's just what we're seeing at the moment. Yeah, and and that's a good point about also, like, and I would call out a lot of right wingers here. There's a lot of people being like, you know, there'll be some person with an anti-Semitic sign or whatever. They'll be screaming to arrest them or like this and that. And like, to obviously what they're saying is absolutely vile, but people have the right to be horrible, to be hateful. So when I see all these right wingers tweeting out a pro-Palestine person, even if they do have a Hamas banner or whatever, I think they should have mm-hmm. the right to do that. I think that. If someone wants to be extreme like that, in the same way, if the EDL or National Front want to do a thing, I'll defend their right. If ISIS want to fucking do a rally in the UK, as rough as that will be, um, yeah. I, I genuinely think that they deserve the right to do that. And it pisses me off all these right wingers coming out all of a sudden. Because the thing about free speech is, it always, for a lot of people, it's always one issue. It's always like, I'm pro free speech. Oh, but this one is shoot. No, no, no. And that's what that's what I'm seeing right now with right wingers. It's like, yeah, I'm pro free speech if it's this, if it's that. But for this one issue of these certain group of people, then no. And it's like, hang on, mate. No, it's it's for absolutely everyone, even these people you absolutely despise. Um, mm-hmm. and and I know it's it's actually annoying because you know that with a lot of these pro Palestine people, a lot of them are the same people who shut who you know want to fucking not let Jordan Peterson speak at Oxford Union or barricade people and say that it's hate speech you know they're the people who are the front line to take away speech but you've got to defend their rights anyway i think it must be great to not have any principles and just go with like whatever you whoever your team is rooting for yeah no particularly with the right i mean we've just seen it's just the most if we were to have this conversation about if we were seeing uh the left exhibit this behaviour about Black Lives Matter or whatever whatever other championing issue they're taking on. Uh, we call it woke. We call it what it was, which is woke. You know, you're not allowed to say me. You're not allowed to criticise this thing, no matter how legitimate. You can't say anything bad about Israel because anti-Semitism. Um, you know, there's just been some just god-awful interactions over the, since the Hamas attacks of October 7th. Just looking at, you know, media figures just shouting down perfectly reasonable and perfectly responsible um critiques of the what is uh, what the idf have done in response to the attacks uh just been shouted down with cries of oh you just support hamas you're just an anti-semite this shouldn't be allowed these protests should be banned or whatever it is then you know it's not very often i find myself cheering on owen jones when he goes on to piers morgan but um you know he just kind of makes legitimate point after legitimate point about the benefits of a ceasefire and how the entire world needs that to happen at the moment and Piers Morgan's on there just decrying anti-semitism and hoping that that will shut the problem up and go away uh yeah it is frustrating particularly a lot of these people who've become um what would we say red-pilled on Ukraine as well kind of realizing the um the illegitimacy behind our unwavering support for you know ukraine's efforts in its war against russia it's frustrating and it seems like we've kind of gone backwards and it just seems like everyone's descending into tribalism and it does seem like there's the 
I don't want to be dramatic. We're on the brink of World War Three or anything like that. But it does seem like we're falling into our little camps, uh, you know, ready for some kind of conflict. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I completely... <clears throat> I think you're spot on there. Like, we're going backwards. Like, all the people are like, oh, war's a bad thing in Ukraine. All of a sudden, oh, how dare you criticise Israel? How dare you cri- criticise the ADF... and uh, Sorry, the IDF that have, like, a, you know, average death toll of, like, 90% civilians won their strikes. Like, it's madness. What, 12 hospitals? Like, yeah, there might be Hamas members in there, but, like, if there's one Hamas person in a hospital, you don't blow up a hospital of, like, 500 people, mostly kids and stuff. Like, it's complete madness. Like, I'm, I'm not someone who hates Israel, but from an objective view, that's bad. There should be a ceasefire. I'm not saying that like no retaliation was it was all you know terrible but like you know we're at ten thousand plus death toll with like what five thousand women and kids or something like it's horrific and uh, like it's all just apps so sad and just coming out and saying you know this is all terrible you're a mass for it's it's completely nuts it's just like, and the other thing that gets me, okay, imagine, let's take away the moral aspect of it for a moment. Just imagine, you know, you don't care about Palestinian lives or they're not as important as Israeli lives or whatever. Just take just take that away from me. Just politically, it just seems like, so, what are they doing? It just seems so disastrous. On October 7th, they had the entire world rooting for them at that point. No one on October 7th was going to come out and say, oh, yeah, what Hamas... No one was going to go onto TV or social media and defend Hamas at that point. Uh, You know, the wounds were still raw. You know, and they could have used that to their advantage. They could have mounted a reasonable and um, qualified response, you know, using the IDF to target uh, ground, you know, ground uh, incursions with known Hamas sites and known Hamas fortresses, uh, as opposed to launching this kind of bombing campaign that they've gone on, which has just totally led to, you know, a worldwide condemnation of what they've done, and rightly so. So it's just been a disastrous kind of policy for them. You know, it's interesting. I was looking at Benjamin Netanyahu's uh, opinion, uh, an opinion poll of him. Now, normally in times of war, the leader, you get the kind of rally around the flag mentality. So if you look at, uh, you know, FDR post Pearl Harbor, if you look at George Bush post 9-11, you know, they are, have been the highest rated polls for any president ever, um, you know, since or before. Uh, because it's the rally around the flag aspect, you know, get around the leader, we're under attack, everyone kind of rally around the leader. Uh, whereas Netanyahu's um, opinion poll really doesn't look promising, um, primarily because this has happened on his watch. I mean, he's been prime minister for, God, I think like most of most of our lifetime, Rory, at this point. I mean, he's been, I know he started, first was prime minister like 26 years ago. So he's been prime minister for most of our lifetime, I think. And yeah, I think the Israeli people have realised that this has kind of happened on his watch. Um, and now the response, he has very much overplayed his hand, received this kind of worldwide condemnation. Uh, and I think he'll probably get a hammering at the next Israeli elections. Hopefully that we'll see the last of the Likud party and their warmongering with uh, Palestine. But yeah, they just have totally screwed this one up. And it's quite extraordinary, really, uh, how no one has kind of suggested to them that politically this just looks disastrous. And of course, just, you know, we 
crossed out the moral objections earlier, but that's you know should be at the forefront of everyone's mind just how kind of morally objectionable the whole thing is. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah, I that's such a good point as well. Even if you don't care about Palestinian lives, like even then you look at even if you're an Israeli, like the hostages, they're going to blow up a hospital, what the hostage and that, like just basic stuff like that. You, even if you don't give a shit about Palestinian lives. But it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Where can people catch you? Okay, so uh, go on to YouTube, uh, UK Liberty TV uh, on Twitter, the same handle, UK Liberty TV, uh, for all the latest in liberty in the world. Brilliant. Well, thanks for doing this because I know it's very late and everything, but thanks so much for watching, everyone. Thanks for coming on. It's been a, been a quality episode. And... Um, yeah, next week, 100th episode. Hopefully, we actually plan something big, like a event or something. But mm-hmm. love you all, and I'll see you next Thursday at 6 o'clock. It's a bye from me. And bye from me. <laughs> Peace.